What do we know about the omniscience of God, therefore, from the consideration of various Bible passages? Concluding the section on biblical accounts of divine actions and reactions, we consider Revelation 3, 5 and 22, 18 and 19. Here we note that names can be blotted out of the book of life. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. It is here set forth as conditional or uncertain with all solemnness that if any man shall add, God shall add plagues. And if any man shall take away, God shall take away. This certainly does not sound as though God knows for certain the outcome. If the entire course and destiny of everyone were known to God, those who do not continue faithful to the end would never be written in the book of life in the first place, so the whole language would be uncalled for. The very threat, therefore, indicates its true conditionality and God's uncertainty as to the outcome. The following considerations summarizes what we have found on the matter of divine omniscience. In the first place, the word omniscience has the simple meaning all-knowing. God cannot have any deficiency of knowledge, but must know everything that is knowable. In the second place, God knows all that is taking place in every segment of nature and in the minds and actions of all moral beings, and of course, everything that has taken place. In the third place, God knows many future actions of men, but it is nowhere told us that he knows all the future actions of moral beings acting in their free agency. Fourthly, God has determined to bring to pass many extended plans that he has made, and therefore has a knowledge of these, and causatively brings them to pass, setting aside man's normal free agency in such instances. Fifthly, the Old and New Testament prophecies of Christ's life and suffering indicate that the plan of redemption and many details thereof were known beforehand by God. Sixthly, while the apostolic church accepted the simple Bible declarations concerning the nature of the Trinity of the Godhead, early Christian centuries saw the entrance of much philosophical speculation into the church as they attempted to word down the nature of God. This was fostered particularly when the church moved out of the realm of persecution into the realm of popularity, even to become the exclusive religion of the Roman dominion in 380 A.D. 
having become populated to a large degree with folk who had no living experience of God's glorious salvation, they had to find something complicated to talk about. Not having humbly repented and been reconciled to the great God of love themselves, they could not be and were not interested in the simple concept of the gospel message. Seventhly, God could not live in time nor have any succession in his being, they thought. God must be an eternal now. He must resemble mathematical infinitude. Various statements might be read. Suffice it to quote the following. The terms prescience or foreknowledge as applied to God are improper. With Jehovah nothing, strictly speaking, is future or past. But what he knows, he knows as it is and not as it will be. Duration, past and future, is a framework within which all human thinking must be done. There is no such limitation to God's intelligence. There is no succession of thought, nor logical processes with him. Such is this quotation. Thus theological speculation has brought forth a concept of God to their own making. They have imported thoughts from the curious speculations of philosophy, and have not been content with the simple and wonderful concepts of God as a living personality found in the Bible. In the eighth place, contrary to all this, God is said to have repented or changed his mind concerning things which he had done or had planned to do some 33 times in the Old Testament. The word used almost exclusively of God, meaning to be sorry, to grieve, to lament, to experience disappointment, and so forth. In the ninth place, God thus repented of things he hath done when certain results developed, notably that man's creation had been entered into when the extent of the rebellion of almost the whole human family became a dreadful actuality. Tenthly, God is said to have repented while his pronounced judgments were going on and as a result decided to stay the hand of judgment. In the eleventh place, God is said to have made decisions to send judgments for sin and even sent his servants forth to declare his certainty, later repenting of his purpose in response to prayer and considerations of mercy. Twelfthly, many other biblical accounts of the actions and reactions of God are very revealing on the matter of what divine omniscience really consists in setting forth that the future actions of free moral beings are not knowable beforehand, and therefore God made certain decisions when certain situations arose or turn of events developed. In the thirteenth place, we may summarize a few of these Old Testament incidents. God told Abraham to offer up Isaac to see if he would obey him and had great delight when Abraham lifted his knife to carry forth this sheer obedience. Genesis 22:12. After the golden calf incident, 
God called for a manifestation of repentance so that he could decide the extent of his further righteous judgment. Exodus 33, 5. God is said to have heard the complaining of Israel with a reaction of displeasure and righteous anger. Judgment was sent. The people cried to Moses in repentance. Moses prayed. Judgment was stopped. Numbers 11, 1 and 2. God sent the children of Israel back from the promised land to journey 40 years in the wilderness because of their sin. And then we are told that he led them to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. Deuteronomy 8.2 God declared his intention to drive out six nations from Palestine, as in Exodus 33.1-3. And then some generations later, after Joshua had led the people on in a partial conquest, and a number of cycles of departure, necessary judgment, repentance, and mercy through the judges which God raised up had taken place, God revised his plans as expressed in Judges chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. The nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them are then enumerated in chapter 3, 1 to 5, among which are mentioned the six nations which God told Moses he planned to drive out. Evidently Israel's sin caused God to change his mind. Then further, we are told that God expected to find out from the presence of these nations whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it, or not. And Judges 2.22 God declared to King Hezekiah through the prophet that he was about to die, but changed his mind and added fifteen years to his life in answer to the humble prayers of the king. 2 Kings 20 1 to 7. Egypt was allowed to subjugate Jerusalem during Rehoboam's rule because of their sin. But when God saw their humility, he modified his plan and granted them some deliverance. 2 Chronicles 12, 5 to 8. In the 14th place, coming to the New Testament, we saw that Judas Iscariot, along with the rest of the twelve apostles, was chosen for a threefold reason, as recorded by Mark in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. First, that they should be with him, to be Christ's personal friends and helpers, and to receive instruction from his inner heart. Second, that he might send them forth to preach, which involved the necessary instruction and training. And third, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils, or to be vehicles of direct divine power. From the statements of Matthew 10 and elsewhere, it is most obvious that Judas was in a state of salvation when chosen. But it is affirmed that if God foreknew that Judas would turn traitor and utterly fail to fulfill the expressed purposes in his call, an unwise choice was made. 
and an unwise investment of time bestowed upon one to no avail. Since no forward-looking Christian leader would so choose, certainly the Lord Jesus would not. And therefore the whole tragedy is best understood in the light that God chose Judas in good faith to fulfill with a select few earth's most important mission without the certain foreknowledge that his end would be so disappointing and tragic. Then finally, according to Revelation 3, 5 and 22, 18 and 19, which we have read, names can be blotted out of the book of life, which is the record of those who have repented of sin and embraced the suffering Savior by faith in salvation. In our next consideration, we will endeavor to summarize these various matters in a statement. Our Heavenly Father, we do return thanks to Thee for Thy love and kindness to us, for Thy precious Word, the Bible, which guides us through all the mysteries that man has worked out and reveals to us Thy very heart and Thy very being. How we thank Thee for these revelations. And now may Thy Word and Thy truth influence many to repent of their sins and to come to the cross of Christ through faith in Him, find forgiveness. Go on to serve Thee in a happy relationship. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.